This morning we find ourselves in the third week of a four-week teaching series where we are looking at uh, one chapter from the Bible. It's a series we've entitled Rekindle, and it is particularly looking at Acts chapter 2, uh, the story of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's arrival in the lives and in the new church of those first disciples that filled them with a fire and a life and a power that changed them from the inside out, these men and women of the first church, and then spilled out and bubbled out from them and started changing the city of Jerusalem and the world around them. What does it mean for our faith to be rekindled? Now, there are a couple of different premises that we're building this series on. The first is this. The first is, is that this Holy Spirit that comes in Acts chapter 2, this spirit that is alive and working in the lives of the disciples, that same power and spirit is absolutely still alive in the world today. And we've got to be aware of that. There's times as the Christians and in the church where we can take the miraculous and make it sound ordinary. Oh God, you know, the Holy Spirit, we're alive in the church. and We're talking about the fact that God is not just some abstract concept of love, but God is a force and power that can change creation. We're talking about that God is not just off in heaven looking down, wondering how things are going to work out and how you and I are going to be good or not. That God is in the world, alive in the world, working in love, working in grace, working in your life, working in my life, working in our cities and our world. And that we can look and tap into that. That is a miracle that we believe is possible. The book of Acts is something we look back on as history. It tells us who we are called to be now and the God that we interact with. That's premise number one. Premise number two is this, is that for you and I to engage in that spirit, for that life to flow into us, for us to become fully alive in that way and to impact this world, it doesn't just happen by accident. It's not just something that we're kind of like, well, I hope something happens to me. I hope God shows up in my life. I'm going to keep doing my thing and working and just being busy and kind of doing all this kind of stuff. And I would be great if something like that happened. Tongues of fire. Just come whenever I'm ready, but I'm just going to kind of keep doing my thing. Doesn't happen that way. The second premise is that we see here that the disciples posture themselves and position themselves in a way to be aware of, open to, and a part of what God's doing in the world. And that we want to be a people who have this life in the Spirit because we posture and position ourselves very deliberately in our daily lives to be a part of this movement of the Spirit. Now, for folks who have been in covenant for a little while, you'll know when we talk about kind of positioning ourselves, posturing ourselves, uh, we talk about that not through ideas. We don't like, well, we hope that happens. The way that we believe people are formed, the way we talk about that here is the building of behaviors, the building of habits in our life, that actions and habits are how we often change. As, as Todd Bolsinger writes, uh, habits eat strategy for breakfast. You can have all the, well, this year we're going to do this and it's going to be different. We're gonna, it's like, but if you don't change your habits, you're not going to change. Right? And so we want to be a people who, who build our habits. And we talk about three of them here. And coincidentally, all three of them are found in Acts chapter 2. Because these aren't just our habits. We see these as biblical concepts of how people are shaped and formed. The first habit, the first behavior, is the habit of solitude. 
We see that in Acts chapter 2. We talked about this two weeks ago, that the uh, apostles were in the upper room, but it says that they weren't just hanging out. It says they devoted themselves to prayer. And we invited you to do the same thing, to devote yourselves to prayer, uh, to, to understand what it means for our inner selves, our spirits to reach out for our creator and to interact with God in ways that bring life. And what we wanted you to do was not just do it for a week, but we, we invited you to do it as a, as a rhythm going forward. And we also, two weeks ago, tried to talk about the vast richness and diversity of what prayer can look like. It, it can look like all kinds of things, including a song that we, we offered to you, Lord, I need you. And we invited you to, if that was a way, to try praying through music, but to try different ways where your soul connects with your creator. Devoting ourselves to prayer and solitude is essential for you and I interacting with God and coming spiritually alive. Habit number two that we talk about here is the habit of community. John talked about this last week, the importance of the fact that we see that God shows up when the disciples are in an upper room together. They're, they're not just hanging out for an hour and then leaving, they're doing life together in that room. And as they're doing life together, God shows up in a very powerful way. And what we believe is, is that you're, and this is important in a culture like ours that's very individualistic, where it's like me and my spirituality, me and my beliefs in God, me, that that is going to always lead to a shallow spirituality. That depth and presence and power of God shows up when we're together, when we're doing life together. And so we try to create all kinds of on-ramps for you to not just have programs at the church, but people that are a part of your life through Bible studies, through small groups, through mentoring relationships, through mission trips, all different kinds of ways where you can find ways to be a part of community. And by community, we don't just mean people that, all this is good, that you can like go to concerts with and stuff, and that's not a bad thing. I like going to concerts too. Uh, it, it, it's a good thing, but we're talking about, do you have people in your life that know how to pray for you? That look beneath the hood at your joys and your sorrows and stand with you in, in prayer and in friendship and that. And do you have that same access to other people where we can speak the truth and love to each other? and grow as a result and refi be refined as a part of the process. That is an essential part, number two, of, of life in the spirit. So we gotta be building that habit as well. Devotion to solitude and prayer. Devotion number two to community. Today, we're talking about the last one. Devotion to service. Solitude, community, and service. All of us called to practice all three of these. And what we're gonna be talking about today is what makes Christian service unique, totally unique in this world. Because we're approaching Pledge Sunday next week, where we pledge ourselves to the kind of church that we want to be, and we need you to participate in that as we look to the future. And there are a lot of great causes, and there are a lot of amazing nonprofits in this city. And I'm not going to say anything that takes away from that, but there is nothing like the local church in ways that it is called and the ways that it can respond and be a part of transforming this world. And we wanna be really clear this week about what makes us unique and how it is that we are called to serve and how we do serve. And that that is a part, gotta be a part of all of our spiritual walks, okay? All right, so as we move into this concept of service, the, the text we're looking at today moves on in the book of Acts. The first two Sundays of this series we read Verses 1 through 13, the Spirit coming, uh, tongues of fire, the disciples beginning to speak in, in different languages, and crowds gathering around to kind of look at and listen to what is happening here. 
What we're reading today is what starts in verse 14 as we go forward. And what takes place is the Apostle Peter, seeing this crowd, stands up and preaches an extemporaneous sermon. And we're taking excerpts of that sermon. That's what we're going to read now uh, of what Peter preaches and then how the crowd responds. Okay? So it's selected verses of Acts 2 starting in verse 14. I want you to listen to God's word to us today. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine in the morning. Fellow Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you see and hear. Therefore let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray no matter who we are, no matter how we gather in worship today, that we would experience your gospel, your good news. And it would change us forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, what I want us to do is to look at this text uh, and, and to understand why it is, I think, such a unique blueprint for this rhythm of service that we're supposed to have. And, and, and how we're to think about how to posture ourselves individually as a church as we go forward to be a part of what God's doing in the world. Okay? And what I want us to do is to look for a thread here, because I think the uniqueness of Christian service is actually found in the words of this text. But to illuminate it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a, a few other quick stories of what I think Christian service particularly looks like that comes out of the life of this congregation. And as I tell them, I want you to be listening for with this Pentecost sermon in mind and see if you can pick up the thread. This is a little quiz game we're going to play. Can you pick up the thread? of what is unique about Christian service, okay? So story number one, to con connect and compare with this Pentecost text. Story number one is an email that I received this week, and it is an email from a member of our congregation who is married and a young mom and was a part of a trip uh, and had an accident while returning from that trip and injured both of her legs and uh, needed to get medical treatment and had to figure out uh, what life was gonna look like 
with a young child and married and not able to really walk and not really able to drive and um, everything else. And she wrote me uh, to, to say, I just want to acknowledge to somebody the response of what it is to be a part of this congregation. She said, because before I knew it, I had a meal train that was set up for two weeks that I didn't know, and people, I didn't ask for it. People just like heard about this, set up a meal train, two weeks of meals coming to my house, people showing up with food because they knew of the situation we're in. There were other people who were young parents that said, we can come and help and drive uh, your son to, to, to school. We can pick him up every day. We can have him for play dates. We can run carpools for you. You know, we can just step in and do this. She said, you had people from the staff, not me, I didn't even know about it, but people from the staff who were contacting, heard about this, praying and just saying, is there anything that you need? How can we help you in this? And she said, I want to write you just to say to somebody, thanks be to God that this community saw and stepped into this situation and how grateful we are and the difference it makes. All right, now think about that. Do you see the thread? With the Pentecost sermon. Okay, not yet, so we're going to keep going. All right, next story. <laughs> Listen to this one. This is an email I received and I was a part of a few weeks ago. Again, from a member of our congregation, a woman in our church, uh, who's agreed to let me tell this story with no names. And, uh, and she uh, wrote an email to a few of us, some people in her small group and myself, because she had that morning, it was a Monday, had been walking and going to work. And she works downtown, and she said that she had an early morning meeting, and she was getting down there, and she was, you know, the traffic and everything else. She got into her parking garage. She was on the borderline of being late, and she was starting to walk really quick through the parking lot into the office building, and she heard sound. And she didn't know what the sound was, but it caused her to pause. And she stopped, and she started following it in the parking garage where she was, and she came to a car. And the, front, the driver's side door to the car was open, and there was a woman in the driver's seat who was sobbing, who was sobbing uncontrollably. She said she recognized her as a coworker, someone she didn't know well, but worked in this company with her. And so she stopped and she knelt down by the door and uh, started try asking what was wrong and what she needed and could she comfort her. And she said that this woman through tears and sobs got out that her husband had let her know that weekend that he was leaving and that they have three children and that the devastation of it was just overwhelming to her. And so this person who's a part of our congregation sat with her, knelt with her, was late for her meeting, and also said, could I take you to lunch today? She said, I already had a lunch scheduled, but I canceled it. Uh, as I went inside and this woman agreed to go to lunch. And so with my canceled lunch hour, we went to lunch and I sat with her and she told me what was going on and she kept talking about the hopelessness of the situation. And she said, understandably so, just the absolute hopelessness that she felt. And this woman who's a part of our church said, you know, I tried, was trying to find ways to listen and to understand and also to encourage. And, and I started talking about, you know, the things that keep us going, your children and uh, the hope that comes. And she said, and I also mentioned about faith. And this woman made a comment that she is not a person of faith and that the darkness was overwhelming. And she said, I do not have the gift of evangelism and I don't even want to have the gift of evangelism but it broke my heart, this person talking about a, an aloneness and a hopelessness that our faith says is not true. Even when it feels true, it's not true. She said, I wanted to find a way for her to know of a God who takes an instrument of death and transforms that into a symbol of hope. 
I wanted her to know about a God who says that he was always with her, and no matter how difficult life gets, hope always exists, and that there would always be a light shining in a darkness that she would see something new emerge. Instead, I shared a little bit about that with her, and I'm just asking for my small group and a couple of others of you to be praying for her, and, and not just praying, I just want her to have a sense of the hope that can be found in God and also that God would be with her in very tangible ways in her children as they navigate this pain. Do you see it? Do you see the thread of what connects that with what connects uh, meals being brought to someone in need, which what connects with the Pentecost sermon? Do you see it? And those of you who are new to covenant might just think I'm throwing that out. I'm actually asking you, do, do you see it? What is it? What's the thread? It's very specific about service. There's power. What's that? Presence. Absolutely. Power. Presence. All right, we're going to do one last one. All right, so here's we're going to go one more. Story, last story. Our mission director, Whitney Bell. Amazing leader, uh, amazing uh, person of faith, driving in her car uh, earlier this year, and here's a story. And the story is an educator on the radio talking about the fact that one of the things in public schools in Texas that many people don't know about is that if you have full lunches uh, and cannot pay for those lunches, you can accrue a debt. I didn't know that that was a thing, but apparently it's a thing. You can accrue a debt if you, to have a full hot lunch uh, on a daily basis, and that it can, if you don't, can't pay off that debt, that it can stop you from participating in extracurricular activities. It can even stop you from graduating from school. And she uh, you know, said what's ironic about that story is the people who most need the, want, the lunch, because it might be the only full meal they have in the day, are the ones who are probably most likely to accrue a debt. And so she came and talked to the mission committee, and did they, they have any sense of this? And, and for the most part, they didn't. So they contacted Austin Independent School District and said, is this like a real thing? Does this exist? And they said, yes, it actually exists. And as you know, and I, you may know, we haven't talked about this publicly on a Sunday, but the mission committee decided from an overage of surplus from last year's budget, which you all provided very generously, that they had funds, and so they released funds to the Austin Independent School District to erase that debt for every student in Austin Independent School District for the 2022-2023 year. The debt was erased, it was gone, it was no more. It's an amazing thing, right? And we haven't talked about it. We haven't talked about it publicly on a Sunday, um, but it was picked up in the local media, it was picked up in the national media, it sort of became, it's like become like the best evangelism thing we had and we were just, yeah, people were doing it as mission. But what the media, because it moves on, what they didn't tell you, what you might not know is, that wasn't the end of the story. The story went on because there was a member involved with an organization called Hope Austin who read about this story and heard about it and contacted uh, Whitney and said, do you know what Hope Austin is? And she was like, I don't know what Hope Austin is. This is my Whitney impression. I don't know what Hope Austin is. And they said, okay, well, um, I don't know why I did that. But the, um, you get excited and you start impersonating people up here and that's going to stop now. Um, you're going to miss this, aren't you? <laughs> You never know what's going to happen. Never know. I said, do you know about Hope Austin? And she said, no. She said, Hope Austin is a nonprofit that takes 
Children who have food insecurity, especially over the weekend and on Fridays, delivers healthy, nutritious, non-perishable meals for them to take home with them or delivers them to their house so that they have food over the weekend before they come back to school. And they said, we're in 91 schools in Austin and we feed about 4,500 students a week. And we heard about what you're doing and we're trying to expand to every school. Would you guys want to be a part of that? And what took place is the mission committee did their homework on that and learned about it. And they said, absolutely. And they released more more funds to that so that four new elementary schools in Austin are now a part of this movement and hundreds more kids are having food that's going to them on a weekend because people heard the story about the thing that happened with the student lunch debt and yet that's not the end of the story. The story goes on because then an elementary school here in Austin, Padrone Elementary School, uh, contacted us and said that they were part of a mentoring program for fourth graders. And they said that we have a lot of students who need mentoring here, that we're trying to, to get in front of certain issues that are common in our school. And would you guys like to be a part of a mentoring program because you have such a commitment to children, which we didn't even know about in the earlier in the year. And she said, well, what do we need? And they said, well, if you could take the whole fourth grade, it'd be great. Could you provide 50 mentors in like three weeks? And we're like, I don't know. And so we put it out there. And yet we have now in the last two weeks had over 50 of you who are going to be volunteering on a monthly basis to be mentors to fourth graders at Padrone Elementary School. And if this is the first you're heard about it, you can still sign up to be a part of it. Because they said at least 50. We cleared the minimum, but we can keep going. All of this stuff developed over the course of recent months. And so what I want to ask you is, do you see the thread? Do you see the thread of that to an office worker stopping, to meals being delivered to someone in need, to the Pentecost sermon? Do you see the thread? Who sees it? Okay, what is it? All right, hold on. I'm going to jog now because I've done impressions and I need to get my steps in. What is it? Stepping in. Absolutely. Stepping in. All right, let's take that. Let's take that because this is the uniqueness of what we're called to do. The uniqueness of what we're called to do is that we are going to be a people who are presented with needs all the time. And we're called to step in. We are called to step in when we don't have the plan and don't have all the answers with a spirit of service, trusting that God can use imperfect people and organizations like us to change the world. See, most every organization or nonprofit has a strategic plan that says, this is the issue we are addressing. We don't do that. We sit there as the Jesuits, as we talked about before, with one foot in the air going, Lord, where do you want us to step? And where is there a need? And how do we step in that direction? Where is the spirit going to move? Will Mancini is an author, and, and for you who are in any positions of leadership at home, work, think about this. He talks about the importance of getting away from strategic planning. Because he said the world's changing too fast now. Organizations don't know what they need five years from now. Long-term strategic planning used to be a 10-year plan. Then it became a five-year plan. The last one I was a part of on a board I served on was a three-year plan. It took us a year to write and do the plan. Then we had a year to live it. Then we had the next year to elect a new group to do long-range strategic planning. The world's changing quickly. The pandemic taught us that. What Mancini said is the biblical way of thinking about leadership is to be not strategically planning, but strategically positioned to know your values and habits really well. This is who covenant is. This is what we do. And we are ready to respond in a rapidly changing world, ready to step because we know what we do. And what we do is serve where we see need. Peter did not wake up on the day of Pentecost going, I'm going to preach a sermon today and 3,000 people are going to come to faith. He didn't do it. 
But what did he do? He saw the need and the questions of the crowd that was there. And he talked about the fact that maybe he could be the one to what? Repeat a message. How, and what qualifies Peter for that? Well, look at the message. The message is not, here's how you're a good religious person like me. The message is, you can repent and know the glory of being forgiven by God in Jesus Christ. How did Peter know that? Because that brother had needed it more than anybody else. He couldn't preach a sermon and quote Karl Barth. But what he could do is say, I was one who was probably the loudest mouth among the disciples. I'm never going to abandon you. This is what I'm going to do. And I denied him and abandoned him three times in public more publicly and loudly than anybody else, and yet he has forgiven me. You can repent and be baptized because he gives what he knows, and people are changed. There were people that provided a meal to a family in need, and they didn't wake up that day going, today I'm gonna take a meal to somebody. What they did is they saw a need and said, what can I do in response? How can God use me? There was a woman in an office place who did not sit there and say, I am going to evangelize to my office place today because in Austin, Texas in 2023, that's how you get sued or fired very, very quickly. But what she did do is have her radar up and when she saw a need, including a spiritual need among a person who was seeking, she responded and stepped in, even though she's saying, I don't have the gift of evangelism, believing that God can use her just as Peter 2,000 years ago. And we, last year on Pledge Sunday, could not have told you that 2023 at Covenant was going to be the year of the child. Because we had no idea about any of it. But what we were positioned to do was to say, how has God blessed us? And when we see needs, we are positioned to respond and to be nimble and to be agile rather than regimented and restricted. And that is the unique call of service upon the church. It's an adventure with the Spirit to be God's hands and feet every day. And it is the most joyful, meaningful experience that any of us can have. This week, you are going to have a chance to step in. God can use you to serve and change this world. You don't have to be enough. God's enough. You need to say yes. And in the year ahead, God is going to present all kinds of of challenges in this city and in this state and definitely in this nation as we go through another election that today we don't even know about. But next Sunday is how we get ourselves positioned to be ready to go. Next Sunday we start writing a new chapter in the covenant story. Let's not look back on where we've been saying how good it is and how good it was. Let's do it again. Let's do it again and marvel at what God has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask for your spirit to use us to see needs in the world around us individually and corporately and to believe you can use imperfect people like us and imperfect churches like us to change this world through the power of your spirit and may it rekindle us and this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.